for Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, this is Pure West Radio. I'm Charlie James and here's the latest news for Pembrokeshire. A North Pembrokeshire NHS worker has described her fight battling the coronavirus and hopes her experiences will show that anyone else fighting it is not alone. Sarah Megan, who works in a management role for the NHS in Cardiff, contracted COVID-19 some six weeks ago. 26-year-old Sarah has since shared her experiences. She says, I am a fit and healthy woman and yet contracting the virus has still made an immense impact upon me. I suffer from very mild asthma and a number of severe food allergies, but no other medical conditions. So I question, why me? Back in early April, Sarah began to experience a headache, pains in her legs and back, putting it down to either fatigue or the development of a mild dose of the virus that would pass. After some of her colleagues tested positive, she decided to self-isolate. She said over the next five to seven days, an excruciating throbbing pain in my hips, my knees and calves developed, followed by tightness in my chest, a dry cough and awaking every morning with a throbbing and persistent headache. Following a further swab, results confirmed Sarah was Covid positive. She says, for others out there experiencing similar to me, it is not abnormal to have symptoms which persist for weeks or far beyond what you may perceive to be the normal recovery time. As I work in healthcare, I have been fortunate to receive the support and guidance of many of my clinical colleagues who have been able to reassure me that what I am experiencing is normal. She finished saying, it's not just a virus. It's important that people understand its repercussions can have far greater significance. I'm continuing to recover and perhaps invisibly to me, I am making small progress each day towards feeling better. But I do recognise it may take a little while. Children in West Wales suffering from life-limiting illnesses have been the delighted recipients of Bell's Boxes of Fun, sent out to ease life in lockdown. More than 30 boxes were sent out by charity Bell's Story, set up in memory of Wolfcastle's Belle Curran, who lost her battle with interstitial lung disease last year whilst on the emergency transplant waiting list. Bell helped set up the charity and her friends, family and supporters have continued its important work, raising thousands of pounds and promoting the importance of organ donation. The charity has been working with Hewell Dar Palliative Care Place specialist Dawn Thomas to put together 32 individually designed boxes of activities and treats for children as young as two months. The boxes include sensory items, toys and crafts to help these children smile during their time in quarantine. It is hoped that more Bell's boxes of fun can be sent out, possibly at Christmas time, and there are plans to offer them for purchase as a fundraiser on the Bell's Story website. A step-aside student has shared the story of her 89-year-old Kilgetty granddad who has survived the coronavirus. Lacey Morell said, My granddad, Ken Webster, is 89 years old and he fought in the Marines. He has six children and 24 grandchildren, so he is a very busy and loved man. During the start of lockdown, my granddad started to have terrible pains in his chest and had to be rushed to hospital. They soon realised he had a heart attack and needed three stents put in his heart. Ken was rushed to Withybush where his health deteriorated and he had to be put on oxygen. 
Ken was in Withybush from March 27th to April 15th. Lacey and her family faced an anxious wait for news. Lacey said, My granddad taught us to never give up, and he did just that. He never gave up. He turned a corner. Day by day, he started responding and eventually came off the oxygen and was able to hold his phone to speak to us and continue to get stronger. We all knew that Grandad's goal was to get home, and he came home not long after, very fragile as he had been through quite a traumatic time and had eaten hardly anything for a month. In a message passed on through Lacey, Ken said, I would like to give a huge thank you to the NHS staff and I can't thank them enough. I would also like to thank the family for all their support during these very difficult times. When I first fell ill, I felt awfully weak and dead, and while in the hospital, I was extremely lonely. I can't really remember much until I started getting better. Never give up. I'm Charlie James and you're up to date on Pure West Radio. Listen live at purewestradio.com 24 hours a day. Pure West Radio. People are strange when you're a stranger Faces look ugly when you're alone Women seem wicked when you're unwanted, the streets are uneven. When you're down, when you're strained, faces come out of the rain. When you're strained, no one remembers your name. When you're strained, when you're strained, when you're strained, people are strained.
and good evening. Welcome to Live from Lockdown with the West Files. We're tonight, and we're a little bit late starting tonight because uh, I couldn't get my mask off. It had got tangled up around uh, around the microphone, so uh, we're a little bit late starting. But tonight, kind of, I was reading this really interesting story because um, obviously we're in the middle of a situation, a pandemic situation, something that none of us have experienced in our lifetimes but it's not the first time that Pembridge has experienced plagues and pandemics and uh, I did a little reading around online to find out how people got on in the past and I came across some really interesting stuff um, and I thought I know we'll find out something more about uh, the Pembridge's plague nurse in a little while and after the news tonight we have at 10 o'clock we have ronnie will be joining us um from her if she gets a tag off in time um and sobers up enough to come onto the radio um because we're going to be listening to or learning about probably the strangest weirdest craziest ghost case in the world but first our guest tonight is Dr. Simon Hancock, um, who has, in addition to his many, many, many talents, um, wrote a very interesting account about the plague nurse of Pembrokeshire. So, uh, good evening, Simon. I hope you can hear me. Yeah, good evening, Steve. I um, hope you, you and your family and uh, yeah. all the listeners are keeping well in the circumstances. Now... Under the circumstances, this—I mean, these circumstances are hardly new to uh, Pembrokeshire, are they? We've been through this before several times. Well, there's an old saying; it's uh, it's worth repeating that there's nothing new under the sun. And I mean, anyone alive now obviously has not been through this before. But previous generations, unfortunately, because of the sort of living conditions, plague. Um, pestilence, um, uh, pandemics, these sort of infectious diseases, unfortunately, were a very common feature, especially of urban life, because, you know, you imagine there's no sort of proper sanitation, there's no sewage, there's no sort of safe water supply or very little. So actually, you've got plague. If you're in a town, then throughout history, you've got regular outbreaks of plague that struck Mm-hmm. Quite, you know, quite, quite regularly. Um, not just we all think of the Great Plague in London um, in 1665. Well, sm- on smaller scales, they they affected rural and especially urban communities. You know, throughout the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh-huh. Now, when I was reading about, because I, first of all, I started going backwards. I thought I'll have a look at the the Great Spanish epidemic of 1918 to 1920 because i know uh, as a child i visited several of the uh, war grave sites in north wales um the where the americans and the canadians were encamped and most of the graves there of course date from that period uh, but then i came across this interesting article written by yourself um <laughs> It wasn't dated to 1652, but the events took place in 1652. And something called a plague... I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> something called a plague nurse. And that really intrigued me. Um, and I read your fascinating account. Uh, and so I thought it would be entirely topical and kind of in keeping with the, the current situation that we find ourselves in um, to maybe question you and find out a little bit more about this this 
unusual occupation because we're all, you know, on a Thursday night, we all go out there and we all, uh, we all applaud and clap and thank the NHS and the other key workers. Um, but they had key workers back in the 1650s also. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we forget to think that, you know, the, uh, the NHS is a very, very treasured institution and has been since its foundation in July 1948. But obviously, going back to the 17th century, there was no permanent... Um, the knowledge of health and so forth was extremely rudimentary. And um, there were some people that were in professionals starting to develop called barber surgeons mm -hmm. and uh, physicians. They started really in the 15th and 16th centuries. But when you've got plague, as the, like the severe plague that broke out in Haverford West, and we reckon it started in, first reference to it is February 1652, and then by November it had almost sort of, it was, it was gone. Mm -hmm. But during that terrible, um, that terrible, those terrible seven, eight months, um, it's estimated the population of half West, about perhaps 300 people died, which is a terrifying degree of mortality. And what fascinated me was, well, who were the people who were charged with actually nursing the sick? Uh -huh. And we find a couple of men who didn't get on. There was two barber surgeons called Benjamin Price and James Sonnigan. And from the records, which have actually all survived, so we've got a really wow. intimate picture of what went on in Half the West in 350 years ago, because all of the records and the documents have survived, which gives us a unique insight so we can go right back to, three, to 1652 and see mm -hmm. the sort of personnel, the professional rivalries. But what really fascinated me was this woman who just appeared when the plague broke out. And, of course, the records describe her as a strange woman. But she wasn't strange because she was odd. She was strange because she wasn't local. So she was a strange woman because she wasn't from Harford West. Right, so and refers to strange. Nobody really knew about her. So that would refer to stranger rather than. Yeah, stranger, but right. in the references, mm -hmm. she's called mm -hmm. strange woman. And what you find is that, um, I mean, women's history is, is chronically under reported and under documented because, you know, of the sort of the men were in charge in the 17th century. Unfortunately, women, women's history is, 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 is poorly served. But when you do find individuals like this woman who ident identified and managed to find her name and put a name to her, Joan Cheat, then, you know, she is a real heroine because you're dealing with people who are dying and you're trying to nurse them. You're at, you know, there's no PPE in those days. You are absolutely in harm's way because there was no... There was no antibiotics. There was nothing. I mean, you see the kind of medicines that they were giving people, pills of rufus and chamomile oil and so, so forth. I mean, it might have eased pain, but I don't think it probably did much to keep the bubonic plague at, at, at bay. And this woman is being paid um, five shillings a week to just nurse the sick. And it's, you know, she's dicing with death every day. Well, now that really is somebody of courage, determination and somebody who I think even after this passage of time we should be you know holding our hands up to and yeah I mean truly incredible that she would as you say put herself directly into harm's way um, although I mean did they have any form you talked about PPE and I, I have seen references um, I mean obviously we're all aware of the, the famous plague doctor masks with the yeah. long beak 
uh, stuff full of herbs. But I, I was reading through some of the uh, West Wales records referring to the purchase of something called tar coats. Um, yeah, no, the tar coats, there were two two tar coats. These were probably men, almost certainly men. Uh-huh. They were paid 15 shillings between them a week. And basically, these tar coats would have had this sort of, that was a description of what they wore. Whether they had the beaks or not, they could well have had them. But we know that these two tar coats, um, they cared for the sick and they buried the dead. And there were just two of them for Harford West, paid 15 shillings a week between them. And we know that they had the use of a, of a house um, with various buildings that were taken into use when the plague was raging. And there was a, a building taken over by the corporation mm-hmm. for use of the tar coat. So these two men, unfortunately, we don't know their names. That's... Not not uh, without looking into it in some detail, mm-hmm. but these two men were they basically searched the houses, they retrieved the bodies, and then of course because so many people died over such a short period of time, the victims of this terrible pestilence were buried in two huge communal graves. They didn't have time to dig individual graves, so there was one of them called the Mayor's Field, which was behind Cokey Street, which is the modern name for City Road. Right. There's also a reference, isn't there, to, um, is it burials in St. Mary's? Because we're just, we're obviously in St. Mary's uh, Street, St. Mary's Road. Um, and the, I think some 96 burials, plague burials, uh, just adjacent to us in the churchyard. Uh, slightly higher than us, actually, in the churchyard. Um, yeah. That refers, the, the 96 actually is really interesting, Steve, because obviously we've got no, there's no sort of censuses, there's no modern records that we can identify what's going on in communities. There's no newspapers in Wales until 1804. But the 96 you refer to is actually really interesting because that's an earlier outbreak of plague oh. in 1613. And that, so in 1612, 1614, you've got low, low numbers of burials. And then suddenly... In 1613, you've got 96 people being buried in St. Mary's Church in the space of a year. So that has to be another outbreak of plague uh, that we can deduce from that level of burials when the year before and the year after, it's not even a fraction of that. So, yeah, it's like it's another insight into the kind of evidence that we can use to build up a picture of the past. Do we have, uh, I don't know how complete the records are um, in terms of names for these individuals. I noticed that when referring to the 1613 uh, epidemic, um, it, it includes members of the local elite. I'm actually re- using your notes here. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> right uh, uh, who is um, including a Jenkins voyeur? Voyer, yeah, the Voyer. There's a William Voyer Trust uh-huh. now, and of course, and then we've got. I remember, I remember this line. There was even a little beggar boy. Yes, from the that's what fascinating. So it really is a social leveller. It's no respecter of of status, age, wealth. You know, when you've got the plague, there's no medicine really that can do you much good. So it's 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 the um, it's the universal leveller. Yeah, that's what fascinated me was that the, that somebody had actually taken the the trouble to record all of the details down to this poor, unfortunate little beggar boy um, of the almshouses. Um, but then you, you talk about, I mean, that was, 96 is horrific enough. Um, mm. But then you, then it goes away and then, then the big one hits, this 1652 
Um, yeah, that almost certainly came through the port, flees in the ships, because, of course, Hartford West, uh, until, well, actually, until the early 20th century, the, the port was an absolutely vital part of, of getting round in commerce. And, uh, of course, uh, Key Street in Hartford West was originally known as Ship Street, uh-huh. and it was the epicentre of the town's economy in terms of all the facilities that you would have. And the that was almost certainly the way that it came into the town. There were no roads, not so much. The roads were just tracks, and there was no other way of communication other than other than the, the, the sea. And that's how it came in. And so, um, you know, for eight months it raged. And we talk about giving due credit to our wonderful NHS and social care workers and actually everybody else who's allowing life to continue. Mm. Well, the heroes from the from the plague of 1652 is the, the strange woman called Joan Cheat. Um, and then, of course, we've got the tar coats. We've got the two medicine men, the um, uh, James Sonigan and, James, and uh, uh, Benjamin Price. Mm-hmm. But there's also other heroes, which is another constant with the heroism from the present day. And then we've got people like Reverend Stephen Love, who was the, um, I think he was a Puritan minister in in haverford west and he really distinguished himself as well that he was um in terms of looking after his flock and looking after the sick so in adversity and that was certainly a period of adversity we've got human beings who were were doing valiant work so that aspect i know this current pandemic is nothing remotely like that but adversity does show the, 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 the heroism and the Absolutely. selfless side Absolutely. of human nature. Absolutely, it does. Well, we'll have a little bit of music, and then I'd like to go a little bit more into, um, find out a little bit more about Joan Sheet, if I may. Um, of course. But first, we'll, we'll have a little music uh, from Level 42. Is it a false emotion? 
the sun goes down of course we survive lockdown here on uh, the west files on pos radio and check out our um facebook page and our website for details on how you can help uh support your local radio station but tonight we're we're talking pandemics and plagues out here in pembrokeshire because although we're in the middle of a pandemic um and hopefully everybody's doing fine this isn't our first encounter with pandemics um, we thank our NHS on a Thursday. They didn't have the NHS back in the 1650s. They had plague nurses. And our guest tonight is Dr. Simon Hancock. And he's done some research into a nice-sounding lady called Joan Cheat, who was a plague nurse in Haverford West in 1652. I think I've got that right, haven't I, Simon? Um, absolutely, yeah, that's quite right. But... It seems that people weren't entirely always enamoured with uh, the lady, Joan Cheat, and that there was quite a lot of gossiping and adverse comments from the town folk. Yeah, unfortunately, that was possibly because of her gender, because we know that there was a great deal of sort of well, I, I suppose you could say negative stereotypes for women. I mean, women were subject to all sorts of like sort of ridicule. Um, and all sorts of, you know, men didn't like them sort of becoming too sort of, I suppose, above their station, you could say, in some ways. But there were a lot of male critics and detractors, especially when women were from like a lower class. And they were like sort of people who were just sort of employed mm-hmm. on a sort of ad hoc basis. So it's it absolutely fits in with the narrative of women being criticized and basically they, they're just running down their, their reputations. So Joan Cheat was caught up in that sort of negative male sort of critic criticism of plague nurses. And you see that sort of discourse in all the publications of the day, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So Joan is, is, uh, is caught because of her, because of her sex. And, um, we, you know, she did incredible work for quite a few months and we, we have, we have her being paid, well, reasonable sums of money but then there's not enough money in the world for you to put your life at risk in that sort of raw way you know every day for months so she's paid about one pound ten shillings occasionally Mm -hmm. 
and uh, but she was her basic wage was was six six shillings a week, and we can surmise that she would have been nursing the sick, possibly perhaps laying out people who passed away. So you know, um, she probably did a, a combination of different duties, but unfortunately, the records are silent as to exactly what they are. Um, but we do, yeah, it is unfortunately, um, and then we do get. The, the, um, the, when the plague broke out, the mayor of Haverford West was a man called, um, I think he was called um, Thomas Davids, and uh, he went to plead the case of Haverford West needing help. And he went to London in, in early April, and, and of course he was he could be accused of basically leaving Haverford West in the midst of the plague. So and he's he did, going he didn't to go for a quick drive up to Barnard's Castle just to check uh, his eyes were all right. No, he didn't. He <laughs> stayed in London for months. Uh, ostensibly, he was play, pleading for the, the Parliament then. Of course, we didn't have a king. He was basically saying, can we please have help for Harford West? Because we know that there were like 990 of the poorer citizens of Harford West needed help. There was no social care, no health service. So... So I suppose, you know, he was doing valiant work, but then mm. there were still critics of him saying, basically, well, you've, you know, are you chicken? You've left Harford West. You're, in, you're safe in London whilst the plague is raging. But even though, he's in, even though he's in London, he's having letters from people in the town basically saying that this woman is being subjected to what well, we would call it sort of verbal abuse. She, she's being criticised. They're running down their reputation. Don't know who exactly is doing all the negative comments about this woman, but for some reason they found her a threat or they just enjoyed a bit of gossiping, which unfortunately small towns, that was all too, that was all too common. Now, this had come, I mean, the, the plague, this visitation of the plague in, in 1652, 1651, um, this wasn't long after Cromwell had ordered the destruction of the castle, and presumably the destruction not just of the castle but that would have also have affected large areas of the town as well wouldn't it so has that had some effect on the economy um leading up to the plague absolutely as you say um Haverford west was right in the heart of the civil wars the the, the castle fell changed hands five times between 1642 and then of course 1648 you've got the second um You've got the Second Civil War. Cromwell rides into town on the 6th of July, 1648. They peel the bells of St. Mary's in his honour. They gave him sugar and they gave him sack, which is a fortified white wine. Mm -hmm. And basically he authorises the destruction of Haverford West Castle. So the people have got to pay for gunpowder to blow up the southern defences. But also, of course, Parliament, because there's a civil war and both sides need money for troops and weapons, the, the town is having to pay... Ten pounds, two shillings and sixpence a month, as a, a parliamentary assessment. Now that doesn't sound much, but when you can't pursue your ordinary uh, trade and your, your your commerce has come to a standstill, the town's going to find ten pounds, two shillings and sixpence a month for its parliamentary tax assessment. Mm -hmm. The town is really, really poor. So this comes literally less than four years after the Civil War, when the town is already really really sort of on its up is so this really did sort of add to the destitution of half a dress because when the town is hit by plague the people can't leave and in fact in those days Haverford West was a walled town so many of its its five gates and its walls were still intact so literally 
they were within Castletown, so they were within the walls, and the, the town was under a strict quarantine. Now, we're used to lockdown and we're used to quarantine now, so we understand the concept a little bit better uh, than perhaps we might have done some months ago. But how did how did the ordinary citizens, how did the town deal with uh, the 1651 and other um, plague epidemics that hit, hit us? Well, uh, although Half West was, was mainly hit, this, this pestilence was in other parts of Pembrokeshire. It was in Waterston, it was in Honeyborough. For example, so it wasn't just Halford West, but it was really magnified at Halford West. And the citizens of wider Pembrokeshire didn't leave the town sort of to, to its own devices. And I think they were like pay, they were collecting £48 um, a month. And then in July 1652, the tax on the county raised to £80 a month so that they could provide food and the necessities of life for the citizens of Halford West who were really badly affected you know, couldn't mm-hmm. earn a living. Mm-hmm. They were all, like, you know, dependent upon the, the charity and the goodwill of the wider county of Pembrokeshire. So, so you know, and that shows, you know, that shows the sort of selfness we're talking about lockdown and people, like, having to depend upon the kindliness of, of strangers mm-hmm. and, and neighbours and friends. Well, you know, those sorts of, those sort of sentiments, although the circumstances are different, are are also present in 1652 as well what about uh, ordinary trade and commerce i mean you know wh- how did people get food how did people you know did they go were they still able to go to the shops or markets or no all the markets were closed i mean half the west dependent on it sort of i think there's a letter there's a famous letter saying that we normally send to st paul's fair for goods so that we can you know earn a living well of course half west all the fairs in the town were cancelled and they couldn't go outside so people were bringing food to the town gates and so the people were having supplies sort of left mm-hmm. and so they they you know they weren't starving and uh, they weren't sort of being left on their own the whole the whole county rallied round but of course it was the, the main the main people who bore the brunt of it of course were as they called them the poorer sort of people the poorer sort Nothing much changes, really, does it? Nothing changes. So even though it's 350 years, there are certain aspects of this that absolutely directly correlate to what's happening now. You know, yeah, the goodness I, of people, helping others in, in need, the selflessness of those who are that, caregivers. And that is a remarkable tribute to, to just our humanity. Um, yeah, something's it, a constant in human nature. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they... they we're separated by 350 years, but essentially they are the same people that we are today. Uh, and presumably they're suffering. We can we can understand it. We can identify with it to some to some extent. Uh, we don't have necessarily the fear. We ha- we have some understanding, and we have a a, a 21st century healthcare system. Uh, what did they do when they got sick? What did the ordinary folk in the 1650s do? Uh, they didn't have hospitals, I presume. No, well, there were a variety of different buildings that were used when the the pestilence was really, really at its height. Um, for example, there was one was a, a Mr. Bateman's um, a Mr. Bateman stable that was being used. Um, there was a, a specific house for the tar goats as well, and there was also another house in Cokey Street where people were um, things. So there's at least a couple of pest houses which are like hospitals, uh-huh. and there was also a cleansing house. So there's about three or four different buildings that are being used because, of course, um, up until 1948, even the Victorians were dependent upon charity, a charity for, mm-hmm. for hospitals. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you'd probably, all your 
listeners, Steve, will know where the leisure centre is in Harford West. Yes. Well, before that, the first building on that side was a prison. Then it became a lunatic asylum. And then it became, in 1874, it became the Haverford West and Pembrokeshire Infirmary. And uh, so that was the main hospital for Pembrokeshire until 1923, when a new county war memorial hospital was built in Winch Lane, which is just on the other side of the road, further down. So, you know, we've been dependent upon charitable institutions for healthcare for centuries. And it wasn't until the advent of taxpayer-funded socialised healthcare in the NHS in 1948, thank God, that things have been, you know, free at the point of, of need, that things have been a bit more sort of equitable in terms of access to healthcare. Certainly nothing like this remotely existed anywhere in the 17th century. And thank God that we have the NHS today. Absolutely. Let's well, yeah. have a little bit more music and then... Um there's some of the I've got some of the questions that I'd like to talk to you about um, relating to an area a bit nearer to where I live up at Merlin's Bridge. So uh, we'll play a little bit of music and uh, we'll chat some more. Okay. Right here, right here. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. 
There we go. And welcome back to the West Files. We're, we're talking plagues and pandemics, or pandemics and plagues, because Pembrokeshire is in the middle of a... You're all in lockdown, so are we. And um, I realised, actually, I was, I was reading about um, previous encounters with the plague in West Wales, and this isn't our first time around. Um, but uh, I don't know that much. I thought, I'll ask Dr Simon Hancock, the man who wrote... wrote the book, I suppose, on the subject. Uh, I don't. You haven't quite written a book yet, though, Simon, have you? Uh, no. <laughs> it's the one in the plan. An article, but not a book. <laughs> it's a fascinating <laughs> article. You can find it online if you want to read the full article. Um, it's available. Just search the Plague Nurse of Haverford West using Gurgle, and uh, have a read of it. It's it's a fascinating account. But of course, um, I live not too far from Merlin's Bridge, um, and I always when I first came down to West Wales, it was like, oh, Merlin was here. And he had a bridge, and then I discovered actually he didn't, and it came from St Magdalene's. Uh, it was a derivation of the name St Magdalene, and there was a play a leper hospital on the site, um, which the site is still actually you can still find the site. It's pretty well opposite McDonald's. Um, I don't know if there's much of it surviving anymore um, in the archaeological records, but. Was was uh, a leper hospital an unusual occurrence in the medieval period? It's it's a, a, it's a, over the years. Um, I've had a pound for every time I disabused a visitor to the museum of any notion of King Arthur and, <laughs> and uh, Merlin. I would be a rich man. So we haven't but got a tree obviously, like Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> the Merlin Oak, sadly not. But as you, as you said yourself steve i mean when people think of merlin's bridge they oh gosh you know people who from Pembrokeshire might think of some sort of Arthurian legend but the um the the name is a derivation of a something actually an equally interesting in my my book because it's um old maps refer to it as maudlin's bridge or maudlin's hill which of course over over time became changed mm -hmm. to merlin's hill and Merlin's Bridge and that sort of thing. But yeah, in the, um, I think it was the probably the 13th century, there was definitely a hospital, 13th century, around the reign of Henry III, there was a, a hospital, a, a leper hospital, because right. obviously leprosy was a very mm -hmm. sort of unpleasant disease that affected skin and your eyes and so forth. And um, we know even today, across the globe, unfortunately, it's still... It's still prevalent, um, but obviously these uh, anyone who's suffering from that um, condition would have been, you know, kept away from the other population, and uh, it's still there. It's at the, I think it's at the bottom of Merlin's Hill. So ruins, yeah, there are some uh, for, the ruins for, for my still, crude, still exist. Yeah, from my crude uh, observations on Google Earth and and ordnance survey mapping, uh, it, it appears to be sort of directly opposite. Um, the the McDonald's restaurant, or also directly opposite the the first milk facility. That's right. And I'm um, looking at uh, some of the sort of surveys that have survived, and there was one which says in the 19th century that part of the north wall of the chapel with three lancet opening windows still survived. So I assume that they would sort of they they must still be there. Mm -hmm. But we had leper hospitals 
um, literally all over England and Wales. I mean, I remember reading a famous example of a lost leper hospital at, of dedicated St Mary Magdalene, which is up in Preston. So it's not just to have a for the West phenomenon. You had some of these really early hospitals, um, and there was, I think there was one also in Winchester. So these leper hospitals were, and Gloucester as well. So they're all over England and I was always and, under uh, the impression that, that, that leper hospitals were built well outside of the town. So presumably then, um, the area that's now Merlin's Bridge w- was well outside of the town of Haverford West. Absolutely. Uh, there would have been, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the core of the old town of Haverford West, like Bridge Street, um, High Street and so forth, and mm-hmm. Key Street or Ship Street, I mean, the old core of Haverford West was a very sort of compact settlement and if you're in Merlin's Bridge, of course, there was no Freeman's Way. It's very, very considerably outside. And, of course, even today, Haverford West isn't technically... We've got a, it's a Merlin's Bridge Community Council. So, right. technically, it wasn't part of the the original parishes of St. Thomas, St. Martin, mm-hmm. St. Mary, and a bit later on, 1840, they added St. David in Prendergast. So, it wasn't geographically part of the town of Harford West, but it was, I mean, it's close enough... So it is, it's outside the boundaries of the town, which if you've got that sort of condition, then, you know, you're, you're comfortably away from the, 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 the settled population. It sounds like um, life in the Middle Ages and then in the 17th century was a lot more uh, fraught than it is now, a lot more uncertain. Uh, with, with, uh... But we survived, didn't we? The town survived. It pulled through. Trade built up again. Uh, how long did, did I mean? What happened after the plague went away? Uh, how well, did Haverford West? But, how did it recover and move forward? Well, half, well, in terms of when it was sort of sort of declining, and by November sixteen fifty two, in the hospital in the pest house, I think there were only one. There's only one person left, and when you think about it, there'd been seventy um, in September, so it was declining. Like you know, we've got cases of covid thankfully declining now yes, um right. so um joan sheet was given 10 shillings to go to a friend in england and what i find fascinating is we don't know where she came from we don't know where she went to to go to a friend in england so she disappears out of the darkness out of the shadows and her little bit of limelight is captured in the parish in the corporation accounts which describe what she was paid and then she disappeared and you know we don't know anything more about her we don't know anything about her biography parish records in england well you know it's like looking for a needle in 100 haystacks mm-hmm. where she could be could be anywhere and more more often than not the records wouldn't have survived no memorial so to but as far as survive. the town it took it it would have taken it would have taken decades to survive the combination of the civil war Five years when everybody's after your money, the, the royalists, the parliamentarians, you can't trade because there's nothing worse for tradesmen and the town was built on commerce than peace. That's what, that's what businessmen, unless you're in the armaments industry, you need peace. You need peace and, you, and access to your markets. And if the, town's, if, the, if the country's torn in civil war, then you can't, normal, you know, normal trade is impossible. So the war and then the, the, the terrible bubonic outbreak of plague in 1652 made Haverford West a very impoverished town and it took it would have taken a long long time years it would have taken years to build its prosperity back up but it did people 
on, on towns and communities. You know, we have our yeah, we do. periods we of prosperity. Back, yeah. I mean, our periods of, of um, adversity. And Haverford West did enjoy a golden age in, in the... Um, in the um, in the 18th century. Excellent. We hopefully we'll have our golden age in 2021. Uh, I hope but, so. <laughs> but I, I know you do a series of talks, um, and you had talks planned. Uh, undoubtedly, they'll be disrupted. But uh, do you have um, any other sort of webinars or um, things planned for the coming months, or is it everything? Yeah, I had about 18. I had about 18 talks planned for the rest of 2020 in terms of all the we've a wonderful necklace of local yeah. history societies and so forth in in Pembrokeshire. And of course, all of those will be cancelled. Mm-hmm. I'm also I've arranged speakers for uh, Pembrokeshire Historic Society. We get Half West Civic Society. As far as I know, I think we'll, they'll probably all be off because, of course, even when you know lockdown is lifted, yeah. you've still got social distancing and you know. It's going to be, and many people who attend these lectures perhaps might be vulnerable or elderly. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be really mindful that it won't really, we probably won't have many access to these things realistically until 2021. No, I, I, I suspect. I, th- I, th- I suspect you're probably right. But do check out Simon's, uh, go on to Google and check out Simon's article on the, the Haverford West Plague Nurse. Just Google it. It can- comes up really quickly. It's dead easy to find. And Simon, thank you so much for coming on and at least reassuring pleasure, us as that, always. We, that we can get through this. And uh, when we do, we'd like to get you into the studio because I've got a whole heap of other questions on a load <laughs> of other different subjects. Um but that's for the future. So thank you once again, Simon. And Pleasure, uh, Steve, and I look forward to it. Keep listening, because after the news, we're going to have probably the craziest ghost story in the world. I want to follow where she goes I think about her and she knows it I wanna let it take control Cause every time that she gets closer She pulls me in enough to keep me guessing Decisions, baby, there's nothing holding me back. There's nothing holding me back. There's nothing holding me back. She says that she's never afraid. Just picture everybody naked. She really doesn't like to wait. Not really into hesitation Pulls me in enough to keep me guessing And maybe I should stop and start confessing Confessing I've been shaking, I love it when you go crazy You take all my inhibitions Baby, there's nothing holding me back 
take me places that tear up my reputation, manipulate my decisions. Baby, there's nothing holding me back. Took it way too far I know we'd be alright I know we would be alright If you were by my side And we stumbled in the dark I know we'd be alright I know we would be alright Cause if we lost our minds And we took it way too far I know we'd be Holding us back on the West Files. Uh, we're just coming up to bumping up to the news here on the West Files on POS Radio. And uh, stay tuned uh, because after the news, Ronnie will be back from uh, wherever she's been hiding for the last hour and we'll be finding out or listening to the world's strangest, weirdest ghost story. So we'll catch you after the news. Listen online at purewestradio.com. This is Pure West Radio. This is Pure West Radio. For Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire. 